Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of To the Moon, Allison. We're talking live. Kira's already applauding. I love it. I'm happy. Yeah. You're happy. I'm happy, too, because we're here to talk about the top and trending books in science fiction, fantasy, literary fiction, and romance. I'm your host, Allison Martine Hubbard, contemporary romance author of The Bourbon Books and works of literary science fiction. And as you can see, I am joined today by the amazing Kira Jane Buxton. Hello, Kira. Hello! And she is here to talk about her new release, Feral Creatures, which came out last week. <laughs> yes, Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday. Last we are week. we are so excited. But this this is not your first Crodeo. Okay, I will Ooh. not do this whole episode. I promise. That was my one bad crow pun. I wanted to get it in early so people could hang up now and go. She's going to be doing crow puns the entire time. But to be fair, you started it because this book starts with a prologue. It and does. this is your this is your protagonist. Yes, and if, if that's not for you, then maybe this isn't the book for you. But this is the book for me. I, I feel like this one was written specifically for me. And uh, I wanted to introduce you as a fantasy author. I don't even know if that's right, though, because the genre for this, Roman, our producer, was asking us before the show, what genre is this? And I said, heck if I know, because it's listed <laughs> as fantasy, animal fiction, satire. Yeah. Is animal fiction a genre? I don't really, th- I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think, genre. I think it's great if it was. I, it I, don't, I don't see it in the bookstores. You know? I would want to say, do you remember the, the what is it? The Graham something novels that the, the Graham base Animalia stuff. I want to call it Animalia because mm-hmm. that sounds much fancier than just animal fiction because that sounds like it's it. for five-year-olds. This is not for five-year-olds. So Kira, without further ado, can you please tell us a little bit about this wonderful book? Yes, I would be delighted. Thank you for that lovely, lovely intro, Allison. And also, huge congrats to to the Moon Allison, just being the the first one. And I'm so honored. It's we are it's, launched. It's you're launched, and you know I'm so excited to be uh, the first guest. It's only going to go uphill from here. <laughs> um, yes, my book, Feral Creatures. I'm I'm so excited that it's out. Um, it is it, beautiful. Yes, the cover is just. I mean. I'm pretty sure it can be seen in outer space. Uh, really, um, very bright and stunning. But it is um, it is the sequel to Hollow Kingdom, my first novel. It's also standalone, so you don't have to have read Hollow Kingdom because of, for example, the prologue will key yes. you in. Um, but it is the story of St. Who is uh, a crow? Am I allowed to say his name? Please tell us his actual name. His real name is Shit Turd, um, and this is a. Uh, he goes by ST normally, but this is a name given to him by this the man who raised him, uh, who was called Big Jim, who's a kind of like crass and body good old boy. And who so he thinks Walmart is fancy. He thinks Walmart is fancy. He does. This is yeah. true. There's Big Jim for you in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's sort of um, you know, it's it's like it's interesting because it has this bird's eye view of humanity because we're, you know, he is the protagonist, ST, and his filter is through this man, Big Jim, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to go into too many spoilers, but no. this is basically a continuation of his big adventures as ST is trying to figure out, you know, sort of what's happened to humanity. And he ends up um, in, he finds this great treasure um, that he, he must protect. And this is, you know, this is the story. This is a terrible description. of the No, I, I love it. And there's so many things I want to get into. So I'm going to stop you there and kind of pull back a few of the things. And I'll jump into by confessing, 
I'm, I'm a huge failure. I didn't read Hollow Kingdom because I didn't even know that you existed until I was asked, hey, would you like to have Kira Jane Buxton on your show? And I saw this cover and said, gimme. And, <laughs> and I knew that at that point, it was going to be a sequel to a book I hadn't read. And normally you yeah. will not get me doing that because I hate not knowing what's going on. And Usually yeah. authors do a piss poor job of explaining anything that's happening, but your prologue was fabulous. And I did feel like there were times when, okay, I still want to know more about it. And there were certain things that ST was saying where I'm going, he's a crow. Does, is he actually accurate here or is he distorting things? Like one of my favorite ST bits of wisdom is explaining about the first people on the moon, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Lightyear. So, you know, he's not exactly a reliable protagonist or he's protagonist or narrator with his bird's eye view. Um, but I did feel like I was completely caught up to the point where I could jump into the action and jump into the narrative. And I wasn't left going, well, I just don't even understand what's happening here. I definitely, though, want to go back and read the first one. So well done, because I feel like anyone who finds this one doesn't realize they should have read the first one. Just read it. And then you can go back and read the other adventures later. And I also appreciate that you just said treasure. Yes. I won't say anything further about what that treasure is or, or the journey that that treasure takes little ST here on. Um, So, so I will, I will leave it at that, but I appreciated the treasure and how you handled all of that treasure hunting as it was. I have, I have talked about it. Um, so if, if you want to go there, we can totally go there. But I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful and feel it out, you know, and see what everybody's willing to. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm willing to talk about it. I will just say that I wasn't sure when the, the last book left, how mm-hmm. much of that would already be revealed. So I wouldn't want to spoil it for any readers who finished Hollow Kingdom mm-hmm. and then are like, Oh wait, I didn't know about that. I didn't right. I didn't want to give away any of the surprises that you have in store. And there's so many. Um yeah. and one of the things that I just wanted to say is your footnotes are literally my favorite part. When I was thinking <laughs> of and, and I know that sounds like a slam, like why is a footnote your favorite part? That is terrible. But anyone who knows me knows one of my favorite authors of all time, may he rest in peace, Sir Terry Pratchett. And that mm. man could work a hilarious footnote into the narrative. And you just don't see that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you took a card from the Discworld repertoire or if that's even your thing, but it is my thing. Is I'm I'm so that's a that's so flattering to have you mention his name, you know, while I'm in the, I'm here with you. It's amazing. <laughs> like that's just like, oh I love Terry Pratchett. Um I I don't you know what it was was partly in writing a sequel, it was like, okay, you know, there's so much to catch everybody up on, hence the prologue, and but also you know, the footnotes were a great, great way to kind of put in these little notes of there's so much um, animal biology. There's these little animal facts here and there, which also tie beautifully into humor. Like there's so much in the animal world that's fascinating and also very, very funny. Yeah. So it's a, it was a wonderful way for me to have ST sort of carry on this, you know, um, narrative, but then suddenly go waka, waka, waka in the footnotes, you know? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I was, we were talking earlier about some of the pets in our lives and some of them mm. that are no longer with us before the show started. Your, our audience here did not get to meet your cat Mushu, which I shared, shared the name with my beloved now long deceased guinea pig Mushu, short for Mushu pork. And mm. I was thinking of him recently because one of the little footnotes has explaining what a hyrax is and not everybody knows what a hyrax is 
And ST refers to them as like inflated guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I think this is pretty accurate. accurate. Yeah, that's about right. Animatronic inflated like yes. guinea pig. Yeah. Yes. And yet yeah. they're the closest relative to an elephant because that yeah. makes sense to nobody at all. No, no. And there's, there's so much. I mean, a beautiful thing about writing these books was it, it's a wonderful way for me to kind of nerd out yes. and, and like do all this animal research and discover awesome things. Like, uh, did you know that like uh, koala bear, co- not bear, koala finger, not bears, yeah. not bears. no, 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 Just no, no, no. Yeah. koala fingerprints are almost indistinguishable from human fingerprints. So there's been confusion at crime scenes. Those koala criminals, I just, I mean, first off, they're on Australia, so you should have figured. I mean, that whole place is full of criminals, including the animals. I know. To be that cute and to be around Mm -hmm. the huntsman spider, I mean, they have to have an edge, right? They have to. I mean, they they have to. But to be fair, there's nothing in Australia that doesn't look like someone just made it up. I mean, I'm still not really sure. The quokkas, if you've seen quokkas, I'm still not sure if they're not just putting us on and there is no such thing as quokka. And they're just puppets. And people are like, yeah. Americans think this is an animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a stuffed animal. It's but they're so adorable. Cool. I love them. Yeah. But you there's this thing about kangaroo farts <laughs> I'm reading about, about like you know, more methane, or is it, there's some question about their their um, farts are more environmentally <laughs> friendly than other farts. Like, it's just so who much studies this stuff, though. Me, <laughs> me, I'm the idiot. No, like, you're oh. the one who looks into it afterwards, but you want the one out there like, with a methane spectrum, determining the actual level of parts per million of methane in a kangaroo's flatulence, because that takes a really special kind of person. Now, going down the rabbit hole to check it out, I'm right there with you. So I love the idea of just shoving in these animal facts, but they're not just shoved in willy-nilly, they're woven into the narrative. And while we do have our our protagonist, there are these beautiful interstitial chapters from other points of view and other animals. And here's the chance, I will admit, I didn't get a chance to read all this with my eyeballs. I'm an ear listener, usually. Uh, so I read some of it. And then I would listen to a chapter. And then if I had a chance to read my eyes, I would. The narrator who did your book. So for anybody who's out there is going, I can't actually read with my eyes. I don't have time. Get the audio. It is fantabulous. The The narrator did an amazing job, both as ST and all the other creatures, including some really crazy accents. I, I think my favorite was there's a there's a certain I want to say he's a cameo character, so I don't want to say who he is because he was featured in the earlier book. And when he comes on and gives his perspective, I just couldn't stop laughing. I had to actually stop the audio to calm down enough to listen to what he was saying because it was that ridiculous. And I don't remember the last time I just continuously laughed through a book so much. And yet then there would be times I was crying. Oh. I don't I don't usually get the kind of emotional whiplash between such extreme humor because usually if I'm reading something that's kind of funny it's just it's fluff it's fun I needed a break but you kind of take us through the whole spectrum was that an intentional decision on your part or can you just not help it Uh, (laughs) there's a lot of things I can't help um you know well to speak very quickly um about Robert Petkoff who does the audiobook he already has legions of fans because he is you know a very he's a prolific actor he's he does the audiobooks for like Stephen King and David Foster Wallace nice. and this is how versatile he is and then he does my you know multi multi animal you know uh narration but he just nails it and so i absolutely cannot recommend his reading and all his readings enough and just follow that man because he's just he's a brilliant being and now a friend of mine which is like i pinch myself he's so cool that is um, awesome. 
And in terms of the, um, yeah, in terms of like the comedy and balancing also the more emotionally, really the whole point of the book, it really is an environmental parable. So yeah. my goal really was to, to have people be able to sort of connect more with the natural world and, and have us remember that, you know, we're part of this glorious biodiverse, you know, planet. Yes. Exactly. We're, we're, we're inextricably connected. And, you know, so the, there's so much causality, everything we do affects the animals around us. And, um, and so, you know, in voicing these animals, I wanted to make them as realistic as possible. I did my research. I've spent a lifetime around animals. My, my first job was at a, uh, I was a volunteer when I was 12 at a zoo in uh, Indonesia. And I used oh to my run- God. Oh yeah. I used to, I was supposed to, my job was supposed to be picking the, they would give me a tub of mealworms and I had to pick the beetles out that had, you know, graduated and those worms. Graduated? Go, yeah. Well, you know, had, <laughs> I mean, not like graduated with like, a, <laughs> like little caps. exactly. Well, like, Circumstomp yeah. on the bugs. Okay. Move on. I mean, who knows? Maybe that really does happen. It could. I don't um, know what the job was. So you were, were you going to take the, the mealworms to feed them to something else? Yes. The, okay. the, they would go to the baby animals in the nursery. So they would oh. go to the baby primates and various um, animals in the nursery. And so, but I was 12 and I was precocious. So I run off and I ended up befriending keepers. And I had all these amazing experiences from uh, fe- hand feeding the Sumatran rhino. I mean, there's so few of them left, you know. Um, and you were one of the few people who got to not just like touch it. You got to feed. That's. Yeah. That's amazing. Every 12 year old out there right now is jealous that you got to do that. I'm not 12. I'm and that. Like, I don't do that now. <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous of myself at age 12. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, one of my favorite things I ever did. I mean, I, I used to like, uh, scrub the, um, L, um excuse me, the, uh, hippo tongue with a, a broom and with feed them whole, uh, like, yeah, their tongue. And I used to feed them whole, uh, watermelons and, and whole corn. You throw it in. Um, wait, it was an amazing. uncut watermelon. Yes. So they, you'd say, you'd say, buka, which means open in Indonesian, and they'd open the mouth like this, and then you'd lob in a bunch of vegetables, and then they'd close the mouth, and it would just be like a spray of vegetable juice, you know, all over you, which is, I think, very cleansing for the skin, I would imagine. Um, but joyful. I mean, I used to do these things. My favorite thing I ever got to do was to hold a, a, a cobra. And that was, I mean, I, I was often, I, I love snakes. I don't know if you can see my little snake bracelet. No, show us your snake. There you Hello. Snake bracelet. Um, and, uh, but I, um, yeah, so, so the hold the cobra was like this very, it took a lot of trust, you know, yeah. for, for the, the keeper. I mean, I, also I was very young and I, you know, nobody probably knew didn't recognize the risk involved quite as well as you probably do now. I knew exactly what I was, I was already oh. at, at 12. I, I already was very aware about all the different snakes and, you know, what they were. And, and this Cause you hear a, about people you can hold a boa, you can hold that, but a cobra, they don't usually just hand those out. No, there's reasons. Yeah. And I had to, I had to like really prove myself. I spent a lot of time with the snake keepers and they could see that eventually it took me a while to, to prove. Anyway, I digress. The point was that's all good. I was going to ask if snake trimmer is on your resume now. Cause I think it should be. It should be. I wish. I wish. I like to be. Yeah. I love, I love them. But this whole sort of lifetime of being around animals and then, you know, loving them so much and wanting to protect them and learn about them. It all comes together in this series. I think it all comes together in these books where I'm able to sort of, you know, really try my best in an effort to, you know, 
I, I, I want there to be reverence for them because I think in, in telling stories about these creatures, you know, what, what's, what we sort of, how we see them as humans really makes a difference to whether we fight for their survival. For example, yeah, right. I mean, like I was reading this book, um, the tiger by John Balin and he really, I, I really understood it, uh, sort of, he really uh, elucidated that for me because he said, you know, when the, for example, the tiger, when it was seen as vermin, you know, then it's persecuted. And that's our story about it. Like, this is vermin. This is a creature that's killing off our cattle. We will attack it. You know, then suddenly it's a trophy animal. So it's, you know, it's being hunted as a trophy animal. But, but if it's changed and we have the story about the tiger is it's a celebrated icon, we can be moved collectively to protect it. So, you know, that's why I think I wanted to write from the perspective of a, a snarky crow because, you know, they, they're really an interesting, it's such an interesting, fascinating bird and the corvids are fascinating. And I have not answered your question, which was how did I balance the humor and the sadness? And but I think me- you just did though, because you were, you're talking about how these things and these animals that we've either treated as rubbish or treated as something yeah. to just dispose of and use as a resource that we'll have forever if we want. Yeah. And that just, again, this is the part where it would break my heart when we'd get to these things. And you brought up something very interesting as far as how we see these animals. The flip side is you had throughout your book, the words that the animals use to describe us. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it's kind of funny. I'm not sure. I hope it's not a spoiler to say that mo- that that the crow refused to, refers to humanity as mofos. But I'm pretty yeah. sure that came from Big Jim originally he that he calls us all mofos. So right. the, the mofo kingdom as it is. But then nobody else is really calling them mofos. It's things like the Skinners mm. and all these words that are always hollows. And what? The hollows. The hollows. The hollows. None, of, none of the terms used for hum- humanity are flattering or endearing. And that just forces us to really look at ourselves and our relationship to everything around us and how we have this relationship with individual creatures, but also species of creatures and then even ecosystems of creatures. And you hit on all of that just beautifully. Mm. So I don't, I don't think I've ever read anything else that would even come close in terms of something like environmental fiction. I don't know if your book is considered something like that because I know I've seen it referred to, oh, it's The Walking Dead meets fantasy. And I don't know if that's completely accurate or, or inaccurate either. I just would say there's there's not a good series or comp that I can think of that comes close because there, there are elements of satire, but it's also very clearly a, po- a post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, post-apocalyptic <laughs> Yeah. And... And yet the animals, they're still thriving. They're still adapting. They're still having to go on with their lives just because just because the world ends doesn't mean it ends for the creatures. That's right. That's right. Yes. And I appreciate you saying that so much because yes, um, there is uh, often the Walking Dead comparison happens. And it. I, I'm quite happy with that because it's fun and it alludes to the fact that there it's is- pop culture. And, and anything that people go, oh, I like Walking Dead, I'll pick it up. So take, yes. take the compliment as far as, hey, you're being compared to something awesome. But yes. then, yeah, then talk to the fact that maybe that's not <laughs> yes. exactly what people are thinking. And it's not, it's not the, it's not the impetus for the novel. I didn't set out to, you know, write uh, an apocalypse or a, a zombie fiction, mm-hmm. but, you know, I would never, and I'm very clear about that when I talk to people who are huge zombie fans, because they, like, you know, it might, it might be a little bit, not what they're thinking it is. Um, 
But I think that's the fun also of zombie fiction is it's always social critique. It's always steeped in social commentary. So for me, I sort of explore um, the horror elements of it is that, you know, uh, humanity is nature's uh, literal horror in the book. And that's why these creatures, you know, it, I see it in my everyday life that the, the, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a relationship with the birds in my, you know, area. So I have two crows I spend time with every day. I've got jays. I've got, I've got all kinds of birds. Um, and they know who I am and they recognize me and they follow me on my walks. And, um, I would go further than that. I would tell you, they actually know where I am in the house, you know, and will follow me. You know, it's amazing. They're very, very intelligent and they don't bring you things or take things from you. Uh, both. (laughs) Um, yes, both. They used to bring me more gifts and now I think they've realized I'm a bit of a pushover and they don't have to work so hard, but she likes us. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we're in, we're family in school. Um, T recently, she's the crow that ST, the fictional crow is based upon. Um, and she's hilarious. She's just a tremendous fun. She's so smart and she's so silly and she's like clumsy. And for a while she was into like jump scares she would hide she would like call for me i'd come outside and then she'd hide and then like come out of nowhere and scare the crap out of me she's just a lot of fun and uh the the jump scare i just have to jump in here you had one line that i actually had to pause and think about for a second because there is an animal that makes a reference to a cucumber and it made me just go oh the videos because if anybody's been on youtube they've seen cats afraid of cucumbers yeah and you've got a cat who's like and the cucumber. And it just, I just laughed so hard because yeah, why? Why are cats afraid of cucumbers? Nobody knows. That makes Nobody no sense. Nobody knows anything about cats. Like, <laughs> we know about cats and we don't know anything. They're just hilariously uh, bizarre. And, you know, they're basically, I think there are overlords. Um, yeah. yeah, I was, yeah, it, in, interesting. I'm really interested in like, I'm interested in our relationships with them and, you know. Well, you may have heard. There were, there were studies done that because of the shutdown and everything related to COVID, all the dogs were happy that their humans were home and all the cats were pissed that we were here all the time in their personal space. Like, could you go away? We don't want you here anymore. Go do your thing and then bring me food and let me just be for the rest of the time. I know, right? Sorry, like, cats. There's a virus. Sorry. Still here. Why are you here still? I know. <laughs> It just well, like, it me up. It's great, <laughs> but and even even to the to the virus and our relationship with animals. Um, you may have seen the picture that I took. I I have a pass with our family to our local zoo, which is one of the older zoos, and it still has some of the smaller enclosures, which breaks my heart. But it's the oh. Santa Ana Zoo locally. But they okay. had to put up the plexiglass to make sure that we don't breathe on any of the monkeys there because it's the zoo of fifty monkeys. And I know that down at the San Diego Zoo, gorillas were getting COVID from humans. And it's just, okay, well, if we didn't think we were closer related before, we could. And I had to explain to my children, yeah, we can pass on diseases to other, any kind of, any kind of animal that's closely enough related to us. The virus gets that too. And guess what? All these, all these other apes and the monkeys are all really closely related to us and yeah we can get them sick and the last thing we want is for an animal that's already endangered to get sick because you know we didn't wear our masks it's so. not it's not just the great apes or the, you know it's also um the tigers i was just at an event tigers too yes tigers oh. bears 
we were at a tigers were actually the first of the the um, exotic animals to contract COVID. So you know, people who are working with tigers are having to be extremely cautious. I was just at this event, um, private event at um, a zoo, and uh, yeah, it was it was so different to, from the last time we'd been there because all the keepers are wearing gloves. There's a whole we were able to get a lot closer the time before. And uh, I actually, I'll just tell you this rant. Can I tell you a random tiger? Yes. Okay. So this tiger, uh, we're back in this, like where we were is like sort of the backstage area where the, t- the, the keepers are doing training with them to, so that they're able to administer medications and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a really good relationship these people have with these tigers. And there's, so there's four of them in this enclosure and they're on these platforms, hot day, and we're all watching and they're all lolling around, you know, cats in the sun, that whole mm-hmm. thing, all been washed with some water. So everybody's cool and calm. And I'm looking in this enclosure, just en- enjoying these relaxing tigers. And all of a sudden, this tiny baby bunny pops up out of nowhere. It went under the fence and pops up in a tiger enclosure. That's not a good place for a bunny. <laughs> no. And I want to say it's crazy because we're in Washington state, right? Where, you know, tigers are not indigenous. This bunny no. would probably never have thought this would happen to him. So this bunny, and it, and it looks like something out of a Pixar movie. This bunny <laughs> pops up and is like, hi. And then, <laughs> and this bunny, there's this amazing moment where the bunny's like, ah, and then kind of looks around and is like, oh, sees the first tiger and then you see the bunny sort of realize there's four of these monsters like oh 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 <laughs> so the bunny just yeah yeah <laughs> so, the, so the bunny's like oh my god and then uh i watched the bunny and i was like oh my god oh my god what is gonna happen the bunny froze totally still and then the bunny made the decision to bolt and i don't know if you've seen how fast a bolting rabbit can go but this rabbit shot across the enclosure and I have never seen anything like it. And I got to see it up close. Four adult tigers on platforms went from pretty much comatose to bolting after this bunny. I didn't <laughs> even see the reaction. Like that's how quick the cats are. Just like all four of them poof, after this bunny and the little bugger made it. He went under the fence and off he went into wow. his like have a life. And the tigers were all riled up and they're all pacing. Like, well, that bunny is going to have a really amazing story of the time he escaped four tigers, <laughs> just barely with his life. And the we do get bunnies down here because we live in areas that have a lot of scrub and stuff like that. But, I mean, I'd be t- I'd be I'd be coming out of an office building, and then there'd just be like a bunny walking around. I'd be like, "How did you get here?" There's like the 405 here, and the bunny's just like, "Whatever." So I'm sure it's used to popping up in office buildings where people are looking and going, "Oh, you're cute. Here, have some Starbucks." Not a whole thing of just tigers, because that's just yeah. probably not what it was hoping for. It's like thing. your bunny like hailed an Uber, you know? It was just like probably, <laughs> probably. and it's like, "Hold on, I'm gonna go get my nails done." Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Orange County bunnies. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? There's, yeah. there's nothing. And so some comments have come in. I've missed a oh. lot of them. People, everything from Terry Shepard loving your cover helps if I hold it right side up. And oh, I, and Laurie Schoenfeld was saying she would like to have an environmentally friendly fart, and <laughs> that would be really helpful. I'm sure for all of us. I'm sure most of us probably don't have the same methane level of say a dairy farm, but no. you know, to support a fart, it should be an environmentally friendly yes, one. Yeah. It is. And I'm yeah. sure that's that's very helpful for a lot of people. But so I did want to ask a question about so since this was a sequel to your first book, 
Hmm. Did you have to make a lot of changes after the first one came out or when you worked with your editor or anything, were they just like, just keep going? Or did they say, okay, based on how this one went, we'd like you to adjust. No. So I'm incredibly lucky. My team um, are really supportive of me as an artist and kind of, you know, you go for it. And they encourage me to really, um, you know, push the boundaries of my imagination because that's, that's really like Hollow Kingdom, the first book, I, that was a book I didn't think would get published. Really? Oh yeah. Now I would guess you would have a hard time doing comps because as we started the show saying, I don't know what it is. I'm sure you probably were incurring it going, your guess is as good as mine when it comes to genre. And and I've been there because I've, the, the books that I have that are out and floating into the please publish me world yes. are, they've been called like five different things. And people ask, what do you write? And I go, whatever it is, they tell me it is, is fine with me because is it speculative fiction? I could say this is satire, speculative fiction, horror, fantasy, dystopia. Just pick a label, pick all the labels, just stick them on. Yeah. And I also want to absolve, you know, anyone who feels that that's to their detriment, that they're not, they, they don't fit neatly in a category, you know, or they don't fit into a genre because I don't. And I think uh, it's a glorious thing. And I don't think it's your responsibility as a writer to write something that neatly fits into anything. You've got to write what, what lights your soul on fire. And if that's five, 25 different genres, fly, honey, fly, you know, like, I just don't feel like you need to box yourself in. Well, and you hope that, but you also will get people, uh, me, uh, where you get rejection saying, well, it's not right for our list because we're more this and this, this straddles this line or it's to this or it's to that. And sometimes that might just be a way of saying, we don't like it enough to take the risk. And that's totally fine. I, too. I got that. I got that with my book as well. There were people who said, uh, I'm allergic to animal narrators. Okay. That's wonderful. <laughs> that you will well, take well. your Claritin and you'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of dancing. I need to do. Well, and and I guess I've just I've read enough books that feel so cookie cutter, and they're it's not that they're not well written or hadn't really done what they're expected to do really really well. But I'm tired of those. I want to keep seeing new. I want to keep seeing the books that push the boundaries. And I, I mean, I'm always in favor of throwing genre tropes just right out the window and exploring something new. And that's what your books do. So I'm glad that someone said, you know what, we're fine that it has an animal narrator and we're fine that it probably doesn't fit neatly anywhere. And a I lot don't of people to- did. I want to say that a lot of people did. I was very lucky. Um, and I think, I, th- I just think there's, there's so many opportunities for books now, um, more than ever. There's more readers than ever. And so um, if you write something that, that is, you know, perfectly classically genre fiction and it, it's, you know, you're, you're writing authentically to yourself, fantastic but if you write something weird there if you believe in it and you love it then chances are there's somebody else that does too and you'll find your your people and you'll find the people that support you even if you're a little weird you know (laughs) i honestly if you're a little weird you're probably going to get more people who support you because (laughs) the weird people we kind of find each other and we just we recognize and then going yeah you're my people and this book speaks to me whereas some of the books that yeah, you know, they're really well written and they're a good read. We can sometimes joke that the, the airport reads because they're the ones always on stock at the airport bookshop. And you're like, I, I forgot my Kindle's not downloading. Let me just grab something else. And those are great. And they're making some good money doing all that. So my, my hat's off to them. But I always will have that like special place in my heart for the books that are just too weird, don't really make sense anywhere else. And when you try to tell them, tell other people about them, because I'm kind of like, 
a book evangelist going, have you heard about feral creatures? <laughs> then people, you, you ask them, well, what's it about? And you're like, well, so there's a crow. And so he eats Cheetos. And um, that's kind of his thing. So I have I have the Cheetos here. I'm not going to eat them, but I'm, I'm going to give one to my, my crow. <laughs> have one. That's fine for him. But that's the kind of thing that some people are going to go, oh my God, you need to just give me the book right now. Can I have the copy when you're done with it? Or I'm just going to download it. That's fine. And other people are going to be like, wow. Huh? And, and that's fine too. So I think to each their own, but I definitely have a space for the weirder, the ones that don't really make a whole lot of sense. We like to joke about the end cap authors because they're the ones who don't fit nicely in any of the displays. So they just get their own. So that's yeah. always nice. You're like, I get my own table. I'll take that. That's good. Give me yeah. some extra special attention. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, is there going to be a third book? Yes, I, I believe. Yes. I mean, I say that I believe there is. So like, I think someone will write it. Um, so. It could be me. <laughs> I was there typing. Was- I don't know. There is. It's in the works. Um, I started and was enjoying myself tremendously. And uh, then a real pandemic happened. And when I was writing that, I sort of struggled. I was actually struggling to write at all. And I I was struggling to read as well. I was very um, distracted and stressed out. And so I actually... You're not alone in that. No, no, exactly. And I, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've had chats with different artists who've either, you know, you know, found that they were really creatively stoked and really dove into some project. And then there are ones like me who are like, ah, you know? um, and so I, I took a little bit of time to write another book. So that will, will come out be probably, hopefully before, um, feral creatures. And that one is much more, it's, it's funny fantasy. Um, and it's also a very difficult book to describe. So I probably <laughs> won't even try to do that, but it's, but it's That's light okay. and lovely and fun. And so I will, I'm excited now that, you know, I'm talking about ST and there's been loads of really, really lovely response to both books. I feel really sort of encouraged to dive back in and be in that world again. I feel m- much more in that space, I think. Yeah. Well, it's so, yeah. That, that brain break to do something else, especially if we've been kind of in one I don't want to say rut. So like, let's say yeah. channel, like one groove yeah. for a while. And then something interrupts the groove, like, oh, I don't know, the whole planet shutting down. And that does yeah. mess things up. And I know, like you said, there were people who I heard were like, this is amazing. I have all this time. And I just, I don't have all these other distractions and I can focus. And some of that just speaks to different lifestyles and family dynamics. I know for me, I used to have time when my, my little people were not underfoot to write. And then when they were always home, that made it a lot harder to get in certain mindsets, but also just like what you were saying about sometimes the writing and kind of needing to take a break from one thing and then not being able to even read anything else. Yeah. And then getting, getting re-energized by, okay, people are reading it now and they're excited now. So now I can get back to it and see what, what's happening. What's going on? What's, what's, yeah. On with the crow, right? On on with the crow. We said that one was on you. That was not on me. Sorry guys. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, there, there, I don't want anybody to go, there are so many crow puns. I would never, there were a couple. And I think I named all of them just because they (laughs) cracked me up because I am a sucker for a really bad pun. And when you've got got a crow as a narrator, what are are you going to do? You got to let him have a lot of fun. Yeah, and he's like he's a logophile Corbett. He really loves wordplay and language. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Even if he doesn't always quite get it exactly right, but he's a crow. You gotta give him a little bit of a little bit of leeway. And he's not a raven. He he really made that super clear. Yeah. He's not a raven. 
Well, and I, I loved the fact that you blended animals that everyone's going to know. Like people go, yes, I know what a crow is. Thank you. But then also some more obscure animals. And they may, this may just be like a pet peeve of mine because while, like I said, I'm a contemporary fan, uh, fiction writer and I do mm-hmm. contemporary romance. And so I don't expect that from my, my readers. And I had a beta reader on one of my recent books say, you can't compare your character to a tarsier. They're not going to know what a tarsier is. I'm like, well, they can look it up. Okay. There's nothing better than the giant eyes. And that's, that's what the comparison was. And she's like, you can't, you can't use them. Like doing it anyway, just try to stop me. But again, when you've got a whole book full of animals, you can use pretty much all of them and describe them however you want in the most fabulous and fantastical ways in ways that really make them come alive. Um, Again, one of my favorites, I'm not, I'll tell you afterwards because I don't want to spoil it. But one of the ones you have almost a, I don't want to say a sleight of hand of what you think is coming based on how our protagonist, what, what he's seeing, and it takes him a while to recognize what he's really seeing is a creature that does exist and is really fabulous. And mm-hmm. I saw some of their, their cousins at the zoo a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was very happy to see them. I'm like, yes, these are amazing. They are. But I see that we are we are already past the thirty five minute mark, and oh, I and time has flown because well it's flown, but also just because it's been amazing getting to talk to you, and I could easily talk to you for an hour, but I promise to honor everybody's time and land us all back safely on Earth before we wrap <laughs> up here. But Kira Jane Buxton, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Allison. It's been such a pleasure. I'm very depressed that this is over because no. when I do, I wanted to talk to you more. Um, we, can, I also- we can chat a little bit more with all the spoilers. And I joke yeah. at some point we need to have like a special patrons only edition where you can come in and talk about the spoilers but mostly we just don't want to ruin the reading experience for people who haven't had a chance to see all this stuff like i know that i probably put it at least one place but i I don't know if anyone remembers where i compared that treasure that you mentioned to something else i had seen and i'm going i know that's my my own that's my own reference point. Everybody else is just going to think I'm a little bit crazy. So I'll just leave that out. But that's kind of the beauty there that every book that you come to, you're going to bring in your own references and go, yeah. oh, I'm picturing it this way. And the author's going to look at me like you are right now going, Allison, you're insane. So no, not at all. Not to at the all. moon with me. It's fine. To the moon. And congratulations on to the moon. And Thank you. Yes, to the moon again and again and again. And again. Well, and I am, I'm very excited that this was a fabulous first time out and I'm, I'm already having to deviate from what schedule I'm supposed to be on, which is Tuesdays at 11 a.m. California time, because our next episode for those who would like to join us will be on, on a Sunday, September 12th at 4 p.m. Because I'm going to be joined by Shelly Parker Chan, author of She Who Became the Sun. And, uh, that author is in Australia. So thanks to things called time zones, <laughs> we wanted to have Shelly Parker Chan come join me live at 11 a.m. It would be middle of the night for them. So we are going to do a special Sunday episode. So I hope you all join us for that Sunday, September 12th at 4 p.m. Meanwhile, this has been a copywritten podcast of Authors on the Air, part of Authors on the Air Global Broadcast Network. And thank you to my producer, Roman Siratin, and our executive producer, Sam. Pam Stack. See, I'm just now gibbering. Thank you so very much, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.